the seams. Hold on. I'm trying to get back to that sweet spot range. There we go. Okay. Okay. Do you have a standing desk? Yes. Cool. I decided is this is the best room to record in, which is why I'm in here, because it's like the smallest room. Oh, uh, yeah. So That's cool. I have no idea, though. <laughs> How you been, Rob? Good, good. I've been busy with the podcast, I think. I wow. just uh, did, I uh, released an episode with Josh yesterday, or is it two days ago? And then um, recorded with my friend Chris Castaneda a few days ago, mm-hmm. and he was a part of my first podcast project called Letters. All right, I remember that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I had him on. We kind of talked about little bit about work and like different life stages through through jobs and then we're talking about music for a little while because he's getting into um to recording some stuff just on on the guitar like his own version of songs that he likes oh yeah and um and i was like man whoever i talk to i seem to end up talking about music a lot (laughs) (laughs) that figures it's like a didn't think of it as a recurring theme but i guess it is you have a lot of musical (laughs) friends and you yourself yeah. are musical, so that makes sense. Yeah. How you been doing? Uh, you know, pretty good. It's been like a pretty killer start to the year, it feels like. Nice. Um, you were going to China the last I saw you. Yeah. I went to China. Um, I went to China at a good time, apparently, because <laughs> <laughs> if we'd have gone to Pre-coronavirus. China. <laughs> right. I mean, it didn't really, that didn't really even click to me until like halfway through this month. I was like, oh, you know, we were there like only one month before all this started like we could have very easily it could have very easily started like while we were there we could have like yeah gotten like quarantined or something i don't know like and yeah. uh my partner was think- saying like man i uh man remember i felt really sick when i got back and i was like <laughs> yeah i don't think that was the kind of sickness because she was like super lethargic and had like sore throat and stuff but it wasn't like yeah. vomiting and that kind of thing which yeah. i think is what I don't know if that's... I have no idea, I think you would know. I think so, so too. (laughs) Well, but before you tell me about, like, the good parts of your trip, I have a rant about all of the coronavirus news. Because when it first happened, uh, any, any, like, medical news, the first thing I do is I turn to my wife and I'm like, hey, Mary, what is coronavirus? Right. (laughs) Because she's studying medicine. Maybe she's heard of it. Um, and, And she's like, I think that's just the name for like the common cold it it, it wasn't but like that uh-huh. was the first reaction <laughs> and then we were reading about it and basically it is very like the way that it attacks you um it can cause pneumonia but overall it's it, it it'll feel like you're you have the flu um mm-hmm. and if you look at the mortality rates it's almost in line with the flu and oh, um, okay and and I've been getting frustrated because at work, some of my coworkers are really like following the sensationalist news reporting about like, you know, closing borders and uh, <laughs> well, I guess it's not the reporting; it's also the countries themselves. But like, just this strong reaction to it, which I I agree with. Like, sure, we should probably quarantine some stuff. Right. And I also agree that it it's a sickness that is spreading quickly. But the thing that people should worry about is the death rate. So, you know, Mm -hmm. imagine if, like, 
the sniffles was spreading super rapidly. We we we, we shouldn't <laughs> be worried about that because it's not deadly. Right. And I, I think from uh, what I've learned about this so far is that. It's pretty similar to the flu, except, of course, um, any flu vaccine that you have wouldn't keep you safe. Yeah. So, uh, like, people like, you know, you and me, we, we could get this virus, um, and it would feel like, you know, it would feel terrible, like we have the flu, but we're not right. going to die. Um, the people who would normally die from the flu are the people who should be scared of this. You know, if you're, like, over 80 years old, mm-hmm. or if you have, um, you know, an immune disorder, autoimmune disorder, or something like that. Yeah. You know, so those, so I like, I'm trying to like explain this <laughs> to people at work and they're like, yeah, it's, it, but it's not just like the flu because we have a flu vaccine and, and I'm like, well, but the a vaccine doesn't cure an illness. It just helps keep you from getting it. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I realized that in a lot of movies, you know, in these like disaster movies, they like the scientists develop a, a, a vaccine to like cure all the sick people and um <laughs> that's and not like, how it works <laughs> that's not how it works yeah <laughs> yeah so even if they had a coronavirus vaccine that's not going to cure the people who have it right now um so anyway that's that's my rant is like sure it's spreading fast but i'm i don't think it's really anything we need to be afraid of <laughs> right now i suppose by developing a vaccine and then if that like cause i mean i know nothing about medicine let me just say that first of all <laughs> but <laughs> but i would imagine that if you produced a vaccine and then you applied it to someone and then they generated antibodies you could maybe capture something that would help people fight it like if you understood how to make the body start to generate what it needed oh, to fight yeah. it then maybe in other people they, they would be able to be transferable i don't really know but that's my yeah, maybe you, you could develop something that helps reduce the symptoms but at least where we are with modern medicine today is there's there's no technology that can fight a virus so it's like once you've got the virus you just got to wait it out we've got some stuff that will help prevent the virus from taking hold Mm -hmm. but you know um i guess through like like blood transfusions and stuff like that like they're doing that with hiv i think but um that's not really fighting the virus that's more like replacing your body if, if you think about it in, in an <laughs> yeah. abstract way, it's like I'm sucking out your blood and replacing it with like clean blood. So I'm not really curing your blood. I'm just swapping it out. Yeah. That's why we all need to I have blood know. boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, uh, you watch Silicon Valley, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's going to be, if you don't watch that show, that's going to be not a great reference. But otherwise, it's hilarious. So. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, China, nice trip. China was a great trip. Um, man, it's it's funny how fast things fade from your memory. But, like, I mean, now it's just, like, this package of, like, this great, like, 10 days I had. Whereas, like, when yeah. I first got back, it was, like, everything seemed so separate, you know? Like, and uh-huh. I was, like, all these separate events. But now it's kind of, like, in my memory, I think, distilled down to, like, what was actually the, the like, <laughs> best parts, you know, and the core of it, that, like, yeah. going into my long-term memory. And, um, first, like just some of like the feeling of being in China, like when we, when we first got there, we were like freaked, freaked out is the wrong word, but we were like, cause we were anticipating all the like surveillance and government stuff that just like is way <laughs> I different. Think I freaked you out with that right before you left. Well, no, I, <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew like, and I had okay, seen yeah. like some, uh, like some travel documentaries and stuff of people going there. So I kind of knew like there's like cameras everywhere. Everything's facial recognition. Yeah. But like the very first thing you do literally when you get off the plane, um, 
like I think before you, maybe even before you like collect your check luggage, is uh-huh. like go to this station and put all your fingerprints down, and like oh my God. Give, yeah right like every single person like had to do that. Wow. And so there's like this bank of like fifty stations, and then people are just going up to it, and you have to like do each hand like separately, and like it takes then it what takes a picture like, nah. of you. No thanks. Well, then you can't even get past the like customs people without this they little ticket that says that I did that. Yeah. So, wow. um, so that's like, there was a little, uh, uh, it wasn't very welcoming from that perspective. It felt like I was being processed, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was, to be honest. Yeah. So, but after that, um, after we got like out of the airport and, um, got like hooked up with our tour group and everything from then on, it was like such a great experience. And that's coming from a tourist because I'm sure like, it's a little bit different if you live there. But, like, as a tourist, mm-hmm. everything is so efficient. Everything is clean. <laughs> um, if you, like, need help, there's always somebody really close because I think the government employs, like, so many people. And there's always, mm-hmm. like, somebody that works for the government, like, nearby. Um, <laughs> which I'm sure is, like, great, again, as a tourist. Maybe not so great <laughs> as a citizen. Um, but, yeah, so it was it was really a shock when we got back then and like flew into Newark and the Newark airport seemed incredibly chaotic and disorganized. It was like, (laughs) I think it would have been fine going there before our trip. But since we came back there after our trip, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I've been so used to being taken care of for 10 days and like everything Mm -hmm. running perfectly smoothly and clearly that now I have no idea what to do. I'm like, uh, okay. So this like train thing, this like airport, like transit train is down. And no one yeah. knows what to tell me what to do otherwise. I'm, like, trying to, like, figure it out on my own. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and that part was interesting, but. Um, it's kind of sad, too, that, like, it, it, not just China, um, but just other countries that friends visit, like, one of the first reactions that I hear of people coming back is, like, wow, it was so clean. Yeah, and I'm just like, what garbage hole do we live in in America? Yeah, it is. Um, it, America, especially, I mean, New York, just it seemed like yeah. very dirty when we got back. Um, yeah. But it also like felt like home. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was like, like your messy bedroom. OK, now everyone talking around me. I, well, mostly I can understand what they're what they're saying. And, you know, like I understand how the infrastructure works here. And that part was welcoming. But it was also mm-hmm. like, oh, man, like somebody should clean up around here <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not me. Somebody else. <laughs> nope, someone else. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we spent, you know, a couple days in Beijing to start. And um, Beijing wasn't my favorite. Like the, my favorite part of that city was going to the Great Wall, which, of course, is not in the city. It's like outside of the mm-hmm. city. But um, mm-hmm. it's just a kind of a very cold, muted, like culture there i feel like because it's like the government seat you know so huh. everything felt very like communist government like uh-huh. this is how it is like we went to tiananmen square and i was like kind of excited i was like oh tiananmen square is like must be like one of the great squares of the world right they don't tell any of the chinese citizens uh they don't tell oh about the yeah about the <clears throat> massacre no but <laughs> I mean, we, we we say that name and it's famous and mm-hmm. for for that reason uh, but I, I, I'd have, I'm sure you, you know too, but like I talked to someone at work who's from China and she's like, 
Yeah, they they never told us about any of that. Yeah, I think they don't tell them about a lot of things, and I'll we'll probably talk more about that later. But like, I I was just expecting because of the way it was also sold, like in our little tour thing, that like it's like one mm-hmm. of the biggest squares, you know, like in the world, and it it was big, but yeah, it's not like a square. It's not like bustling with like people and commerce and restaurants, and I was kind of expecting yeah. it would be like that. Yeah, where's the Starbucks? Yeah, <laughs> well, at least, well, yeah, they do love their Starbucks over there. It's like fashion. <laughs> I guess it's like fashion here too, but uh-huh. I don't know. Anyway, it's just like a complete, like you have to go through security to get onto the square and then there's nothing there. It's just like gov- <laughs> like six or seven government buildings and a lot of open space. Damn. And I was you like, like I waited in line for this. And I was like, yeah, I was thinking like, oh, it's going to be really cool. Like, you know, it's like a different cultures, like gathering place. But it was mm-hmm. not that at all. <laughs> There's just a lot yeah. of cameras and some government, like the, the the communist government buildings and like a big portrait of Mao. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, yeah. seen enough. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And it was really funny because they wanted to take our tour group picture, pointed at the government building with this like big portrait of Mao. And I was thinking like, oh, I always wanted to have my picture with Mao, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> This is a very weird experience. Yeah. Just that was the very beginning of the trip, like the second day. Huh. Um, so I was like, uh, I hope this isn't gonna be like, kind of lame, you know? Yeah. But uh, then the next day we went to the Great Wall, and and actually I was skipping something because later that day we went to the Summer Palace there, which is what's that? A gorgeous. It's like a like the Camp David of China. If you don't think of it that way. Except they built, mm. like, like from ancient times. So they built, like, a huge palace, like, right on the water. And it's, like, everything's gorgeous. I mean, it's, like, built into the side of this, like, kind of, like, small mountain. And it was you just... funny. That's funny. That's awesome. You, you, you mentioned the Camp David comparison. I, was, mm-hmm. I, I hear about that in, in the news all, uh, you know, all the time. Like, uh, some presidents are going to go over to Camp David and do some sort of negotiation. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what Camp David looks like. <laughs> I've never I, seen pictures. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know. I've seen, I mean, I've seen their recreation of it on Veep. Uh-huh. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I, I get what you're saying is that it's like, it's like a, a second power center. It's like the, it's a not, retreat, not the main place, but it's, yeah. Yeah. It's where you go to get away from the rest of the hustle and bustle of the government. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, that palace has been <clears throat> sacked like a number of times by like every Western power that's ever been through China. <laughs> They just, like, apparently always, yeah, they apparently always just go there and, like, because they keep, like, all their nice things there. Because it's, like, (laughs) you know, it's, like, the retreat place. Like Versailles. Yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But that was gorgeous. And then going to the Great Wall was amazing. That is, it's so steep. And it's not actually, the wall itself isn't very tall, but, like, how it's built into the mountains. It's, like, climbing it was, like, pretty Mm. legit, like, workout. So... If you're like a Mongolian horde, you'll be tired by the time you invade China. Well, no, because if you're a Mongolian <laughs> horde, I, I would hope the Chinese would think that you're not on the wall itself because that means oh, you're, <laughs> you've already lost. <laughs> but but they didn't build it very high because it was really just designed to stop horses, like stop the cavalry, you know, oh, from coming so you through. Right in. Okay. Right. They weren't worried about people really getting over it because that, that, that they could handle. Sense. But they couldn't get yeah, horses. Get off and... So any spot where they thought like horses couldn't get through because the mountains or whatever they didn't build wall there so the wall's not not continuous it's like all these patches of wall some patches are very very long don't get me wrong but i mean 
it's not like a big continuous wall. Huh. You know, I, I don't really know anything about it, so I hadn't mm. thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, but it was it was mostly just like really beautiful because it's built into the like mountainside and you're like climbing up this ancient, ancient structure and then seeing this these great, like awesome views and yeah, it was nice. Yeah. I love places that have a deep history and of course China has the, the longest history. Right. And just the sense of um, even more than, you know, looking at something in a museum, um, for me, it's like <clears throat> just standing on this ground and realizing a thousand years ago, some other dude was standing right here. Yeah. Like when I was in London, I found a, a pub that was 400 years old and it was, you know, still operating. So I had went and had a drink just to like have this kind of like little imaginary idea of like some other person was sitting here having a beer just like me, but 400 years ago. And, you know, you go to older places like China and that goes back, you know, a thousand, two thousand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's totally true. I, I that's the kind of stuff I love. I like that a lot more than just seeing stuff in museums. I mean, just yeah. like you're saying, because museum is like taking it from its context, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but actually standing in the place like and I hope to visit, you know, like the Parthenon and other places like that to have a similar experience of like at one point this was like like the most kind of important not i don't know most important but like the most known like part of the world like this was like the the center of it and there were like people here and this was like where world history was happening you know like now i'm standing here and it's the tourist attraction but at least i'm standing in the same place as those people (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i kind of wonder like what will those places be like in a thousand years from now like what people like visit the remains of the white house and be like this is where like <laughs> like is, modern society yeah. was like the seat of you know power was i don't know right really? and uh, this was early just like you go to rome or whatever and you're like oh the roman empire and all that right who yeah. knows i guess we'll find hmm. out well we won't find out because we'll be very dead but yes um, well, maybe tomorrow they come out with time travel who knows yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that's unlikely. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about this discovery, but um, I was watching Jeopardy the other day, and they had it in one of their clues. But uh, a few years ago, scientists figured out teleportation. And I remember I was super excited about it, but uh, the limitation is that they, they can only teleport a photon. Yeah. So it's like one photon. But, you know, hey, if, if they could start teleporting electrons, think of how fast our internet would be. Because the internet is just... <laughs> getting my electron through all these cables to to your house right and if we could teleport it you'd have like infinite internet speed of course that's the first thing i think about <laughs> yeah yeah well if you hmm that seems like so weird because like how would like because doesn't doesn't stuff get really strange with time once you start moving stuff at the speed of light like like or instantly faster. or faster yeah. because like if you send it faster than like or with i mean i don't know it's like what when does what is the order of time even i don't know (laughs) if (laughs) if like you say it and then i see it on my screen but like my eyes can't even process it as fast as it like as it was being sent i don't know like so you would it would still be yeah that's that's true but i'm thinking it would still like we're facetiming right now as we record it so I, i imagine if we teleported the electrical signals it would still uh, the end result would be something on your screen 
And then it would take, you know, 400 milliseconds or whatever for your brain to process what it's seeing. Mm -hmm. So I imagine it would be the same as us just sitting face to face in person. And just like the screen just is the same thing as like a window in your house. Um, Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, but I feel like it's almost like that now. Like yeah, it's so and, close to that already. <laughs> but like, I mean, it seems it seems like that, but there there is a little bit of of yeah. lag that um, you notice if you um, if you ever like FaceTime someone in the same house or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's yeah. anyway yeah. time travel, teleportation, <laughs> uh, ancient history. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I always think about that and like like um and and like how long are countries gonna last and not in like an apocalyptic sense but just like knowing from history like rome lasted you know only so long it it got big enough Mm -hmm. to where it just kind of started to fall apart and then you know the holy roman empire and all these other like empires and the british empire didn't exactly disappear but they you know they're not really an empire empire like they used to be Mm -hmm. and so the united states i wonder like what's the uh, expiration date on, on like the constitution and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And I don't even know if it'll be like, well, maybe it will be something with the constitution. I mean, and maybe we're witnessing some of it like now, who knows, like it's not just in the United States, but like, it seems like since world war two, there's been like a pretty steady coming together of mm-hmm. people. And now it feels like it's just starting to like go the other way. Right. Like where like yeah. Brexit happens. And Brexit then, was like, just the other day. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, part of that is, I think like other countries are like, that aren't really, they're United Nation countries, but they're not like, I don't know. They don't, they don't feel like on the same kind of mission, like China, like for instance, coming to power, like in being a really huge world power. Um, but not being as aligned with like, I, and I shouldn't say like, it's a very Western centric viewpoint, right. That like, to say that like, well, the United Nations is like a, like there's like a viewpoint that it should have like. Well, mm-hmm. no, this is me talking as an American. But I think it should have like this particular like looking out for Western people. That's probably like subtly what's going through my mind, but that's not really what I mean. Well, um, but to take it another, comparing it to China, for example, <clears throat> um, when, I, when I talked to my friend from China, um, just kind of like, you know, riding the subway home and whatnot, trying to learn like what that experience is like, um, you know what she thinks of like an authoritarian ruler and and all that. And obviously she um she likes America better. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she she um it's it's hard to tell if it's just like just because she grew up in this or or what, but she's like, "You know what? I kind of give him benefit of the doubt because China is a massive it's way bigger than the United States. Education is very disparate and mm-hmm. so much of the country is like, you know, not even literate um and Right. It's not not that these people are are born, you know, unintelligent. I'm sure that if they had the opportunity and that context to like go to school and stuff, they could be really intelligent, smart people, but they that's not what their life is through so much of China. So anyway, she was kind of like explaining that like, you know, this the very like authoritarian nature of China is in a way of like a parent telling the children what to do because the the child just doesn't know you know what what's what's a good thing to do yet and you know we do this with with our children like oh don't stay out past this time or don't cross the street without looking and of course we're all free agents 
right. um, as humans, but like um, that's the kind of approach that they take, and and she kind of gives them a little benefit of the doubt because um, because not everyone is thinking about politics or thinking about repercussions in the way that you or I are. Right. Um, you know, if you just kind of you know your your little town, that's your whole life, and um, you're not very educated or or academic about things, mm-hmm. then apparently that's their approach of dealing with the massive population. Anyway, long yeah. long story just to say that, like, you know, with the United Nations, it's United Nations is kind of a, a coming together, like a, a hand-holding of countries. So it's like we got each other's back. But there is no central voice. There's no mission of, like, you know, if the UN were the leading body and said, like, all right, we are all going to work together to, I don't know, end climate change, or we're all mm. going to work together to denuclearize. <laughs> and But instead, it's like the member states propose their ideas and, you know. Right, uh, right. Well, like, I mean, the UN does try to do those things, but the UN itself doesn't hold the power. So that's, I think that may be what you're getting yeah. at, right? It's like, it really takes, uh, you know, especially the Security Council members, like these big powerful nations to like if they're behind something more often it happens but like if if it's not mm-hmm. like if one of them isn't then it's like well like when you think about like the size of the u.s economy and the size of the chinese economy like if both of those people aren't on board then it's like probably what i don't know 75 percent of the world economy <laughs> like yeah, yeah. so then it's not going to happen with like climate change because like that's that is the change that needs to happen is in those two <laughs> places you know like yeah <laughs> So it's exactly. kind of weird, but, but back to what you were saying a little bit about like how they, how China like handles its population, like the collectivism that is, that I witnessed there, like that actually is like quite enviable. Hmm. Like it, it made me think like, I wish like in America, I think America used to have that, that collectivism a lot more of like, this is like, like we all have our different political views, but we're like all Americans and we all like stand for like a set of certain values. I think that was like very true, like around wartime. I'm sure. And I think yeah, wartime kind of, always kind of galvanizes your identity. Right, right. But I think now again, that's like totally kind of. It's like I don't know if it's totally disintegrating, but it's definitely coming apart. Um, uh, so, well, it, but in China, would, you definitely feel like everyone is like not just about war things, but like that's why the things are so clean, and that's you know that's why everything runs so efficiently because like everyone feels like there's a good side and a bad side, but like feels like they're a cog in a wheel and they have to do their part to make the wheel turn. You know? Shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, th- I was thinking about that. Um, I visited Japan a few years ago and um, I, I don't really know much about their government, but um, they do culturally have a very shared sense of responsibility, shared duty um, in the sense um <clears throat> I guess kind of like in suburban America, there's like, you know, um, housing associations and neighborhood associations where like, um, you know, the trash goes out on Tuesday and you are not allowed to have your trash can out there on Wednesday. (laughs) You know, like we have agreed as a neighborhood, we don't want to see empty trash bins on the street. So you better take them in or, you know, you'll get like a $20 fine or something. Mm -hmm. And like in, in the neighborhood in Michigan that I grew up, I remember one of the things was you're not allowed to build a fence. Um, Or if you do, it has to be one of those, like, um, one of those nice, like, straight metal rod fences that you can, like, see through. But no no, um, wooden fence and no chain link fence because 
we as a neighborhood want to be able to walk out behind the house and and see just kind of like grass from you know neighbor or house to house or whatever no um nothing chopped up by fences Mm -hmm. so anyway i think that's kind of like we have that on the micro level sometimes i mean in new york like there's none of that i mean i have to recycle (laughs) i guess or i get a fine but um yeah there's no there's no shared sense of um community uh usually in like apartment dwelling right uh with I, i definitely got that in in japan of you know people just like leaving their bicycles propped up against the buildings and whatnot like Mm -hmm. theft just didn't seem very evident keeping things clean you know there were actually very few trash cans and i was like how's this place so clean and there are still not that many trash cans and the thing was um i heard if you're like eating or whatever on the go you just bring the trash home with you right you you know (laughs) stuff it in your bag or whatever and then you throw it away when you get home yeah um you don't you don't litter um so i think that on on the other hand with america and I don't know, I'm not a anthropologist or anything, but I, I get the sense that what's core to American culture is our individualism. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember like studying Spanish and Spanish cultures in college. Uh, it was interesting to hear how um, kids growing up, they would stay with their family um, to a pretty old age. Um, for example, I knew this guy who he was like, 28 or 29 and he was a a medical doctor and lived with his mom lived with his parents in his original house Mm -hmm. um and he even had a girlfriend he didn't move out until he got married (laughs) and that's kind of like the demarcation and there's other examples of that you know like where maybe like your parents move in with you after you're married and stuff like that but in america it's like okay 18 years old get out of the house right like Typically, it's because you're going to go to college, but now, you know, even people who aren't going to college, they, you know, move out as soon as they can because you feel weird, you feel guilty or ostracized if you're living at home. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, going forward in life, having, you know, your mom or dad move in with you as elderly parents, it's almost like, uh, oh, well, we can't afford proper health care, so they're just going to live with us. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's not normal. It's more of right. kind of a downside. So... I don't know where I was going with that point, but I th- at our core, I think our culture is very focused on like, I'm an individual, I'm supposed to go off and do everything by myself and figure it out alone. And then a lot of other countries, they're just this deep history of family supporting each other and neighbors supporting each other. Right. And I think that's why, you know, they tend to embrace like socialist, uh, like policy so much better. I mean, or so much more like readily mm-hmm. because they're, they're already used to like taking care of a community. Like it's like, so there's some people in the community that will, well, there's a lot of reasons for this. I think there's some people like, you know, people in the community that will be better off and some people that won't like be as well off, but we're all going to like try to lift everybody up. Like that's how I really felt like it was in the Scandinavian countries when I was there. Mm -hmm. You know, in, American politics right now, obviously, with the the Democrat Party, a lot a lot more um, left and socialist concepts are entering into the the democratic thinking, and um, I, I I I can appreciate a, a lot of them. Um, I don't really know where I am on the spectrum. I'm definitely pretty far left, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I was talking to my friend Chris, who is not the Chris who's going to be on the podcast, the mm-hmm. other Chris. Um, 
who he's pretty centrist. He's almost Republican, but socially he's Democrat. Basically, he just mm. doesn't want the government to to tax his lots and lots of money. <laughs> and and I'm like and I'm like yeah okay I get that like no one wants taxes, but like as an individual like I I think of socialism from an individualistic lens. So like I'm I'm not out here to like do it for my neighbor and the 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 greater good, but I'm like all right, if you increase my taxes a little bit then then my streets are going to look like they do in Japan or right. my my public transit is going to be super nice and quiet and and clean mm-hmm. or you know the bus will be on time and you know I think of it as coming back to number 1 <laughs> like right, yeah. and it's you know to Taxes are no fun, but it's like um, it's like a magazine subscription. Uh, you know, you you subscribe to something, you pay in order to to get that stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of these other countries; they've got a really nice membership going. <laughs> right, right. And we're we're trying to constantly like pay the bare minimum, and at the same time, we complain about the conditions. Well, I think that goes back to what you're saying about just the individualism. Like in, I think in the Scandinavian countries. Um, at least the ones I visited, it seems like everyone pretty has pretty much has like a the same feeling about like how they want their cities to look and how they want like um, like how clean they want it to be. If they want mm-hmm. there to be like a lot of like homeless people or they don't, like there's like a very uh, like pretty much cultural identity that's like around that. And part of that's probably because they're pretty homogenous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in America, like very it's very individualistic, and so like the to have the gall to say that we all want the same thing is like ignoring that individualism right of like yeah. well we're not gonna like you say you like the, the clean streets and all this different stuff but like for other people they're like i'd rather have my money <laughs> you know yeah, like, that's so exactly what my friend would say <laughs> right. like i don't care i'll just take my money and buy an expensive expensive apartment where it's really nice on the inside right <laughs> but that's like entropy right that's like insulating yeah so like there's <laughs> If we know anything from what, Thomas Pynchon, so he wrote that story Entropy. It's about the guy who keeps like I don't know. insulating himself, insulating himself. But like, there's like entropy can. I haven't only, heard that story. Oh, uh, I've only read part of it. I remember in like one of my American lit classes or something. But essentially, it's like okay. you keep insulating yourself, keep insulating yourself. But there's like a point, a tipping point to that, mm-hmm. where like it'll either drive you crazy or like it will all just collapse because it can. Eventually, you have to go outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right 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 well things can only be like what is that like it's like a, a thermodynamics law isn't there about like yeah when you said entropy i was thinking mm-hmm. of physics right like and the, so uh, entropy is is basically is like disorder and you can you can uh arrange things in order like i can take atoms and turn them into a coffee mug mm-hmm. um but um I'm going to butcher this because I don't really know it that well. But the I think the, the arrow of like thermodynamics is definitely predisposed to entropy or more chaos. Right. So like it's a lot easier to break the mug and have it shatter than to like have it become more orderly. <laughs> right. Like it's not going to be orderly on its own, but it will, if you leave it alone, it will gradually disorder. It'll decompose. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um in an isolated system, entropy can only increase. Right. Yeah. That's like, so if it's yeah. like, an atom would be like an isolated system that it's only eventually it will somehow come apart. Right. And I think that's like the, yeah, the message half-life. of the book too, is like <clears throat> you can like keep making it more orderly, but it's only going to keep coming apart no matter how much you put it together. Yeah. Like just kind of scary. Cause human society in general is, is like this 
this like atlas type of struggle where you have to constantly be uh, you know ordering society or yeah. we'll just go back to cavemen <laughs> right right which has its benefits too possibly you know <laughs> when sure. we were i'm sure that Cleaner like air. there was uh <laughs> politics were probably well politics were probably more brutal but also like simpler when we were in nomadic tribes that moved around right like everybody in right. the community we could all agree because there's only like 30 of us. So like we can, <laughs> uh-huh. it's really clear how to move forward. You just follow whoever has the biggest biceps. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. All right. That guy uh, says what we do today. <laughs> right. But I, I do kind of think, you know, uh, this probably goes against like how countries like the, the socialist, like Scandinavian countries do it. But like in, in America, we probably would be better off if we governed it in smaller segments. Like I think people would embrace, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, entitlements is the wrong word, but like social care programs, if it was mm-hmm. like community administered, like imagine it, imagine if like uh, you, instead of it being like, well, the federal government is going to tax me and then provide a, a, a program for the whole country. If it was like, well, you my county is going to provide that. Yeah. Ta- it's going to do that tax instead. And it's going to be administered on a level that I can see and understand. Like, I think that that's a really a interesting lot. point. Because yeah. if you if you look at um, like well-to-do neighborhoods, a lot of times they have this huge sense of pride in like what their little town has done, and mm. um, and that's like a sense of pride. Whereas on a larger scale, I think it's a feeling of a burden, and that's I, I'm guessing you know it's largely back to the individualistic. It's like when you have such a blanket statement, then it's going to feel like people are deciding for you. Right. But on the, on a smaller scale, you feel more empowered. And I heard this interview, this podcast interview. Um, it, it's about a book, actually. So I'll I'll try and plug the book if I can just find it. Um, it was on Recode Decode, which is a good podcast. Um, it was an interview with Ezra Klein, and he's talking mm-hmm. about his book Why We're Polarized. And I think I'll check out the book soon. But in the interview, they kind of um. Uh, give a digest in polarization like <clears throat> this isn't anything new with the uh, the trump era you know before trump uh obama was the most polarizing president before obama it was mm-hmm. bush and and all that That's and um, fair. yeah and and he's saying um i mean i guess you, you could argue maybe it's getting worse but it, it's always been pretty bad and he's he doesn't have any grand solution like he wished that he did but mm-hmm. he he kind of postulated that if anything um just for our own sanity we should focus less on national politics and more on local or at least the state level because that's the stuff that actually happens i think that it's more it's a shortcut like it's easiest to follow national politics because that's happening everywhere it's easier to write an article about something something that's happening in the whole country than for news companies to cover what's happening in this state in this county of course there are local news but um Mm -hmm. just like signal versus noise like people are going to follow cable channels and mass publications not the small publications but Mm -hmm. um in reality if we could like pay attention to the stuff actually closer to home and just like focus on making your county better or your state better uh, you're probably going to be a little less stressed out by all the crazy national politics, but mm-hmm. you uh, might actually make it better. Right, right. And I think, like, 
part of like, and this is like part of my own personal political and spiritual journey, but like, I think moving to Chicago, um, a lot of things that were incredibly foreign to me suddenly became not foreign to me. Like they were there in front of me. Right. So like when I, you know, I lived in a very small town, like 600 people. Right. So everything about like, you know, in Missouri. Yeah. In Missouri. Right. Uh And you know, everything about people from other countries, right. Was incredibly like foreign. It was very other because it's not something that I witnessed every day. Right. Mm. I witnessed it on TV, (laughs) but I didn't witness it. That was someone's curated projection of that. Right. Not actually that thing. So when, when I'm in Chicago and like, it's like really easier to understand like, Oh, there's this program to help like refugees. Right. Well, there's no refugees in my town of 600 people. So that seems like very other to me. There's no, I can't process what that is and how, why that's good right. for me. But in Chicago, like I see them, like I see there's, and I see other people that are actually like part of these uh, groups that are helping settle refugees. And I'm like, like, oh, now this thing is like part of my community. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like that it really shifted my whole political disposition and spiritual disposition. Like, cause it made me realize like, oh, like, well, that's no, it's no different that like I'm a person here in Chicago than if I was that person in Missouri. Right. It's still like, we're like, we're just all people like, and uh-huh. so like these people needed help regardless of where I lived. Like, and I can right. see that now because I'm here. So I, I just don't, I think the otherness is like really what, what drives a lot of politics. Like just the way we're exposed to things. And, and I just, I wish there was like some good way of, I don't know, like being exposed to that without having to like move to a city. Right. Cause some people don't want to live in cities yeah. and see that, but, but it's really clear that when people that live in cities, like adopt a more liberal mindset in general, I'm like not not 100 yeah. percent, but because they're now exposed to all these other things. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you, why you know you, a lot of people talk about like coastal elites, which mm-hmm. I think elite is kind of an inaccurate word because <laughs> I don't see I don't see a lot of elites, but they probably mean coastal liberals. Yes. And um, I think you know on the coasts is where a lot more of the big cities are. Of course, you've got Chicago, and mm-hmm. then you have you know, not huge cities, but, you know, Grand Rapids is a decent sized city in Michigan and, and all that. But, um, you, um, yeah, when you live in a, a more urban or metropolitan area, people have to bump up against each other and you have to go and buy coffee from some guy down the street. And, um, you're just exposed to more of that on a regular basis. And I think that's just, um, getting you to consider those other people. Um, in in a funny way, it's kind of like uh, with the the national versus local attention. So in the in, in the local attention, you described coming from your uh, small town and only focusing on that kind of what's going on there locally, and things that weren't going on there just didn't resonate or they didn't click. And then going to Chicago, that's another local setting. Mm-hmm. Um, national i guess or national news i think they're they're trying 
the idea of national news is trying to communicate all of that other stuff that's happening, even if you're not there. Right. But I think it's just it's a hard it's a hard story to listen to or a hard story to really empathize with unless you're actually seeing it. Like you can tell me all day long about X Y Z problem, but like I'm not facing that. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, like that's, homelessness. Yeah, exactly. I didn't didn't really witness that until I moved to New York. Right. Right. I mean that's that's pretty much exactly right. Like it just feels like other. It feels like something that is not that doesn't have anything to do with me when you're in a small community like that. And I think it's really hard. I mean I'm I'm not like this is not a criticism. This is just like a truth about how we experience the world as humans, I think that like mm-hmm. it's really hard to care. Like even right now, it's really hard totally. for me to care about coronavirus. Because it's yeah. off in some faraway place, even though I just visited that place. Like, yeah. it's off in some faraway place that seems like it's other. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, right. And that's, like, just a really interesting way that we, as humans, like, experience the world. And I think that there are ways to, like, move away from that feeling. And I think, mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot... I think this is, like, actually... <laughs> I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth because I used to be a huge atheist. But, like, this is why we need spirituality, like in a way, because that is mm-hmm. the way that we understand and feel empathy for something that is like so far removed from us that we can't really understand it, but we can, there are things about it we can understand. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think the big job of many spiritual orders, um, you know, beyond the specifics of their teachings, it, it really does come down to helping solve that problem of otherness because you know, thousands of years ago and, and even today, we're more likely to survive when we're together. And, you mm-hmm. know, a religion is this kind of like set of ideas and this to create a community and to help you care about others. Um, and, you know, that's why the United States is largely a Christian country. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's long been the case that like the Republicans and the conservatives are of the like they're they're very like devout Christians and it's always boggled my mind because I'm pretty much an atheist but I'm you know it's kind of like this sense of like you know I Christianity and the Christian values and other religions too it doesn't really matter what the religion is they're all about like this kind of community and taking care of the other and yet a lot of um, what comes from you know so to speak the other side <laughs> that I hear is yeah. like the you know screw the other like let's let's just care about me and and care about like my immediate family and like it's more insular um i think that speaks to like not confusing spirituality and religion like i know plenty of people who are religious who are not spiritual and i know plenty of people who are spiritual who are not religious like actually more i would say there's more people that are in quotation marks religious that aren't spiritual than are spiritual and I would say there are yeah. probably more people who are not religious that are mm-hmm. spiritual, even though they're not, they don't have a religious affiliation, right? It's really interesting yeah. that, that that happens that way. But, you know, just, just because you have a label or because you go to a specific place once a week doesn't mm-hmm. mean necessarily that you are, I mean... You, That's their identity, not right. necessarily their feeling. Right, right, right. Because you have to somehow, um, you know, spirituality it's like it's not something that you can force right it, i i don't feel like it's like you can't just say that oh because i do this i'm spiritual it's it's mm-hmm. something that has to change deep within it's like you know chasing zen right you can't chase zen 
Like, <laughs> if you do, like, if, you, if you're trying to be Zen, you, you will inevitably not be Zen because <laughs> you're trying yeah, to do yeah. something. So it's like a paradoxical thing. And so, I, but I'm kind of, you know, going off on another topic, but I think like... That's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to, yeah, you have to discover something that helps you understand the world in a certain way and people understand the world in all different ways based on their experiences right but for me like we've talked about alan watts before but like being exposed to this idea that like just like everything else in nature we're like a growing thing like the earth is an alive thing like Mm -hmm. it is its own entity and the tree as a as an example of that like it even though it's like leaf like a, a like the root of the tree and the leaf of the tree are very far apart, but but they are they understand they're the same thing. So like the, the leaf communicates yeah. information to the root, and, and it changes the way that the whole thing operates. But right. but it but it has to have empathy for that leaf. It can't just say, "Well, I'm like I just care about the roots." Like you know, it can't it can't like do that, <laughs> right? And, and so in the same way, I think on Earth, like we are each of these little like apertures of like whatever god is you could say right like we mm-hmm. are experiencing whatever consciousness is right these, all these little apertures and we should understand that like what i do affects affects this other aperture right and what that aperture does affects me um and also the way i treat like the roots the earth like affects all of the apertures so like yeah having that like you know, little like a metaphor in my head, like completely changes the way I think about everything. You know, it's like, that's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, that's, it's it's true. That's the kind of thing that can help with that otherness, like get rid of the otherness. Like we actually are all just this aperture of consciousness. So like, it doesn't matter what their circumstances are. They're experiencing pain just like I am. They're experiencing, you know, all the things that are innately human. Like that person has those too. And they're not like just trying to, I, I don't know, like, they're not other. They're they're exactly the same thing I am, just in another place, another part yeah. of the tree. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very very good insight, and and I also feel just kind of bummed out when I realize that a lot of a lot of this thinking and uh, you know even conversations that that we get to have um, <laughs> uh, are that um, you know we we have the privilege to have the time to think about that kind of stuff yeah and um so you know we're we're lucky in in that sense um but yeah so it sounds like your trip to china was good <laughs> it was yeah and maybe we'll have to you know i only got i feel like i only talked about like the first two days of it so maybe we'll have to do another uh another show sometime soon and i'll talk about yeah. some of the other parts some of like i mean i went to shanghai and these three sort of i'll say suburbs they're like the smallest one of them was five million people but like uh uh-huh. they're called wuxi hangzhou and suzhou and i mm-hmm. you know i've got great stories about those places too um so be good to chat cool. again and i'd love to do a, a whole episode too where we can just talk about beyond this point oh um, yeah yeah what you're doing any ideas for your future projects and yeah and how that's going too uh, that's the the source of my current stress because it's like grant writing time right now that's why everything seems so busy (laughs) but anyway yeah that'd be great all right well thanks for coming on thanks rob talk to you later see ya